Our scripture reading today is coming from Psalms 67, 1 through 7. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Selah, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among the nations. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. Selah. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. The earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us. Let all the ends of the earth fear him. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, as Matt said, um, uh, this morning we're going to continue this August series on loving community. And our focus this morning, as he said, um, the mission of loving community. As you know, the macro theme or the storyline of the Bible is God restoring his creation through Jesus Christ. When sin entered the world, human relationships with God, with others, and with creation were broken. Christ's work on the cross, his resurrection from the dead, brings restoration in all these relationships and to all creation. Chris Wright, theologian Chris Wright states, the redemptive work of God through the cross of Christ is good news for every area of life on earth that's been touched by sin. We can stop right there and just think about that, that this is what we believe. And this good news of redemption and restoration is for all people. So this morning, we're going to follow that theme of redemption for all people through Scripture, from Genesis through Revelation, and then consider how we can join God on his mission. We have snacks. It's going to take us four hours. So, no, it's not going to. Um, but we are going to look at a lot of Scripture, and it's going to be up on the screen, and it should be easy to follow. And while you may know a lot of these Scriptures, I hope and pray that as we explore these scriptures together, that God will speak to us in a new and fresh way and we'll be like, wow, I really see that theme in a new way this morning. The most famous verse in the Bible is a verse about missions. Jesus said, for God so loved the world. And that simple statement summarizes the central theme expressed throughout the pages of the Bible. God loves his whole world. And he's on a mission, he's on a mission to save people from every nation and tribe and people and language. And he wants us, you and me, to join him on his mission. The origin of God's love for the world is described in the opening chapters of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created man and woman in his own image to relate intimately, for you and I to relate intimately with him and his creation. 
But that wonderful relationship that Adam and Eve enjoyed with God and his creation was broken through the disobedience and deception of Eve and then Adam. And for the first of many, many times, humankind came under the judgment of God. Banished from the garden, humankind's situation grew worse. The sixth chapter of Genesis laments, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. The earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. You know, the wickedness, the corruption, and the violence of humankind brought great judgment by God, culminating in the flood. But with the flood, God also provided a means of salvation to Noah and his family, which Noah acted on in faith. And that means of salvation was the ark. And you know, that's been the story, our story, the story of humankind ever since. Judgment for sin or salvation by faith. This is what the Apostle Paul describes as the severity and the kindness of God. And these themes of judgment and salvation appear repeatedly in the pages of the Bible. Because despite the miraculous redemption God provided through the ark, it didn't take long <laughs> for Noah's descendants to turn away from God again. This time, in pride, as they built the city and the Tower of Babel. Like the violence of Genesis 6, it was the arrogance of Genesis 11 that brought God's judgment. Judgment not through a flood, but through the dispersion of mankind, humankind, over the face of the earth and the confusion of their languages. We read about that in Genesis 11:9, And this dispersion resulted in the birth of nations and tribes and languages and peoples. Well, God's love extended beyond the original people group that he created to all these newly forming nations, tribes, peoples, and languages when we read that God called Abram to become God's means of blessing and redemption to all these scattered people, to all the families of the earth. It's really interesting that it's Genesis 12 where we read about this that immediately follows Genesis 11. Genesis 12, the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I'll curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him. Well, that promise given to Abraham uh, in Genesis 12, it was affirmed to Abram several times and then repeated to Isaac, to Jacob, and to Moses. Speaking to Isaac, God said this in, in Genesis 26, sojourn in this land and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and to your offspring, I will give all these lands and I will establish the oath that I swore to Abraham, your father. I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and will give to your offspring all these lands. And in your offspring, 
All the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Now remember that verse because 2,000 years later, in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Gentile believers in Galatia, Paul explains the significance and scope of that promise we just read to Abraham that in your offspring, or that promise to Isaac, that in your offspring, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Here's what Paul writes. He says, Abraham, he writes, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations of the earth, be, shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring, Paul writes. It does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. So Christ is the promised offspring through whom all the nations shall be blessed. The ultimate promise given to Abraham is the promise of the gospel, what we call the gospel, salvation by faith in Christ. And that gospel is for all nations. Thus, right at the beginning of the Bible, in Genesis and Exodus, two books of the law, the global scope of God's redemptive plan is revealed. God's blessing will touch all the nations of the earth. In the Psalms, this same global theme is carried forward. Psalms 22. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. In Psalm 46, we read, Come and behold the works of the Lord. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And not only is the gospel for all nations, as we're seeing, but God's people, you and me, have the responsibility to intentionally proclaim this gospel of salvation and redemption to all nations. Like Abraham, God's people, you and me, were blessed to be a blessing. God's people, we are recipients of God's favor so that, two of the most important words in the Bible, so that God's saving power may be known among the nations. Psalm 67, the psalmist makes this point clear, and we just read it earlier. In Psalm 67 and 96, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. Psalm 96, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works. Isn't that a great way to describe what God does? His marvelous works among all peoples. You know, it's not just the people of Israel who are to know God's glory and majesty and salvation. It's not just the people of Israel. 
He is to be known and worshiped by all the earth. And God's people are God's ambassadors through whom his glory and his salvation are proclaimed worldwide. We looked at the law, we looked at the Psalms, the prophets pick up on this same theme as we're moving through scripture here. Daniel, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah, they all affirm this same majestic theme that God will make his name known among all peoples. In Isaiah 25, there's this beautiful promise that my wife Becky and I claimed for the 35 million Sundanese Muslims of Indonesia when we worked in Indonesia years ago. For nine years, we lived in the city of Bandung, which was kind of like the mother city of the Sundanese people. Situated on a plateau, Bandung is surrounded by this ring of mountains. And one day, Becky and I drove up to the top of one of those uh, uh, mountains, and uh, we went on a picnic lunch. And, we had a, and with that picnic lunch spread before us, and the city of Bandung stretched out far below us, we read these uh, wonderful mission verses from Isaiah, which you can tell uh, me are meaningful to me. And here's what Isaiah wrote. And imagine this, we're sitting on top of this mountain, looking down among these 35 million Sundanese people. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that's cast over all peoples, the veil that's spread over all nations. He'll swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. And that Old Testament promise from the prophet Isaiah has driven missions, engagement among the least reached, those with great need and little opportunity to hear about Christ for centuries, for millennium. God will bring his salvation to all peoples. God will destroy the veil, the covering that is cast over all peoples. God will remove the veil of death that is spread over all nations. And one day, this is what we pray for, one day people from every nation will say, this is the Lord. We've waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. So the whole Old Testament, the law, the writings, that's the Psalms, and the prophets, the whole testament teach that the gospel, God's redemption of all creation, is for all nations, and that God's people, you and me, are to declare this good news of redemption to all peoples. Well, in the New Testament, the gospels began with this very theme of redemption for all peoples, all nations. On the night of Jesus' birth, I mean, this is the beginning of the whole New Testament, the angels proclaim, what do they proclaim? Luke 2, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Forty days later, the devout Simeon held the newborn Christ 
And he gave thanks, saying this in Luke 2, my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. Salvation for Jews and Gentiles. That's everyone. That's everyone. Years later, in the cool of the night, Nicodemus understood the global breadth of God's love as he heard these famous words from the lips of Christ. And let's read them together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. After his resurrection, Jesus charged his church. He said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything, all that I have commanded you. And then finally, as we get to the end of the Bible, Revelation 7 describes the culmination of God's wonderful promise of the gospel for all nations. Revelation 7, let's take a look at this as we come to the very end. After this I looked, and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, let's read it together, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So from Genesis to Revelation, we just went through the whole Bible, God's promise that in Abraham, all the families of the earth shall be blessed is a promise. It's a promise of salvation fulfilled in Christ and extended to all nations. The redemptive thread that's woven throughout God's word reveals God's mission to redeem people from all nations, tribes, and languages into a restored relationship with God, with each other, and God's creation through faith in Jesus Christ. And equally important, God's people, you and me, are God's ambassadors through whom his glory, this message, this message of redemption are proclaimed worldwide. Mission always refers to God's continuing work to restore creation and to our own active participation in that work. So Christians, we receive the gospel so that we will share the gospel to all nations. To summarize, God's mission is to redeem his fallen creation, restoring all that's broken and distorted by the ravages of sin and evil so that all creation can regain its intended relationship with God and one another. God accomplishes this mission of restoration through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's what we believe. Chris Wright says, God's people are the object of his blessing and the instrument of his blessing to the world. So through the work of Christ on the cross and the holistic, the holistic word and deed witness of the church of the world, all nations will experience God's blessing. God's people, you and me, we find our purpose. We find our delight as we participate with God in fulfilling his mission to the world. But that kind of begs a question, how? <laughs> All right, sounds good. How do we join God on his mission? And I'm gonna give three ideas 
as we bring this to a close. We join God's mission through prayer, through witness, and through connecting our skills to global needs. Prayer. We've already talked about this. Matt was talking about this just a minute ago about the August Prayer Initiative. The starting point and a critical point for our involvement in God's mission is prayer. You know, it's really interesting. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll discover a very simple principle. Every major advance of the gospel in Acts is preceded by prayer. Let me say that again. A really simple principle. Read through Acts, look for it yourself. Every major advance of the gospel is preceded by prayer. Every time. In Acts 1, the believers pray and are given the gift of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, they pray and the Lord added to their number day by day those who are being saved. Acts 3, Acts 4, the early church prays and despite persecution, the church is filled with courage. Acts 9, Ananias and Paul pray and Paul, who becomes the great missionary and teacher of the early church, is saved. Acts 10, Peter and Cornelius pray and the gospel goes to the Gentiles. Acts 12, the church prays and Peter is miraculously delivered from prison. Acts 13, the church in Antioch prays and they send Paul on the first missionary journey. Acts 16, Paul and Silas pray and they're delivered from prison. The jailer and his family are saved and the first church in Europe is established. Acts 17, by Acts 17, they write the people, other people, the people outside the church were saying, the world is being turned upside down with the gospel. Every major advance of the gospel in Acts is preceded by prayer. Do we want to see, as we were just saying a couple minutes ago, the gospel advance here in Orlando and around the world? Friends, we, got, we need to pray. We pray asking God to give faith to the lost, to believe in Jesus as their Lord and Savior. We ask God to remove the veil that keeps millions and millions of people blind, many people that we know, to the beauty of the gospel and the truth about Jesus Christ. We ask God to give us courage and winsomeness to speak about what we've heard and seen about Jesus. Do we want to see God transform the lives of our family members and friends? Do we want to see the nations again turned upside down by the gospel? Friends, let us pray. Let us earnestly pray. August, as Matt said, is the month of prayer, our month of prayer as a church. Many of you have received, uh, have signed up to receive LBC's daily blog and prayer requests during this month. We got a couple days left. And as Matt said, um, this week, we're going to be praying for all of our missionaries. And you can still sign up to receive this August prayer blog. So I encourage you to do that. It's a great tool to help us all together pray together that the gospel would advance here and around the world. Pray. Number two, how do we join God in his mission? Witness. In Acts 8, chapter 4, we read this. The believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. I love that, wherever they went. Everywhere they went, they shared bits of gospel 
leaving a gospel trail behind. I'm sure they were afraid. That's actually why they were, that's why they were scattered. But they kept talking about Jesus. In his letter to believers in what is now Turkey, Paul, uh, Peter reminds the average church member, we read this earlier, you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, and then these two critical words, so that you, or that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. We've been saved to be a witness for Christ. Wherever he's placed us, wherever we go, we're to be his witnesses by what we say and what we do. Just naturally and openly talking about our relationship with God, weaving, I think, bits of biblical truth into conversations, showing the gospel's beauty through our kindness and our integrity, asking questions to discover how Christ can meet the deepest needs of our friends and colleagues. What kind of trail do you leave behind? I think of kind of like Hansel and Gretel, you know, leaving these bits of, what kind of gospel trail do you leave behind you, wherever you are, wherever you go? Can people follow that trail back to Jesus? You know, one of the easiest ways to introduce someone to Jesus is to simply invite them to study the Bible with you and let God speak for himself through his word. We, the, we see this type of witness described in Acts 8. God prepares the Ethiopian eunuch to study the Bible with Philip. They read the Bible together in a chariot of all places, which just goes to prove you can have a Bible study anywhere, and the eunuch is saved. All of scripture points to Christ. We can start anywhere with anyone and we'll get to Jesus. God's word is powerful. Way more powerful than our arguments or our great logical propositional truths that we can lay out. God's word is powerful. It penetrates our hearts. God has prepared people to respond to the gospel if we'll just walk through scripture with them. Who's your Ethiopian eunuch? The Holy Spirit would love to lead you to someone that you can't imagine right now, but that he has been preparing to study the Bible with you. One-on-one, perhaps in your small group later this fall, someone seeking but not understanding who's waiting for you. Will you simply ask God to lead you to that person? Let, put it on him. God, lead me, to, lead me to that person. And then will you ask that person, hey, you want to study the, the Bible with me? You want to study the Bible with me? Prayer, witness, connect. Connect your skills to global needs. The Apostle Paul says, we are many parts, you and I are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. Every single person here has the ability and the gifting from God to do certain things well. On purpose. The Apostle Peter adds, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. So we're part of Christ's one body that stretches around the world and throughout time, the church. 
And God providentially has given you the ability to do certain things well so that you can serve the church and strengthen her witness to the world. Now, many of our missions partners are missionaries with Mission to the World, MTW. And MTW is the missions arm of the Presbyterian Church in America, PCA. The Fellowship of Churches or the denomination that Lake Baldwin Church, LBC, MTW, PCA, um, is affiliated with. Mission to the World has started a new missions initiative called the Workplace Ministries Resource Network. If you get out your worship folder, on the very back of that, the last paragraph, bottom right, there's information about this. The Workplace Resource Ministries Network. It's a place where for professionals to connect their unique skills and knowledge, what they do well, anybody in the church, what they do well, with MTW missionaries and partners. We have a bunch of them that, we, that you support. Through this network, you can make yourself available as a consultant or trainer, willing to just have a one-hour, 30-minute Zoom call with an MTW missionary, needing advice in a sector where they know there's a need, they want to do something, but they don't have expertise, but you do, and they'd love to talk to you and just say, hey, how do I do this? You got some ideas? More information about the Workplace Ministries Resource Network is in your bulletin. There's an email address that you could contact if you're interested. All right, as we wrap this up, Remember Genesis 12, when God's word came to Abraham? What did he do? When God's word came to Abraham, what did he do? He obeyed in faith. Friends, God wants to use you to be his witness to the world. He wants your neighbors, and he wants people from every nation to know of his love, his forgiveness, his power. He wants them to experience restoration in all areas of their life, through prayer, through witness, and with our God-given talents, let us be that loving community engaged in the mission of God, which we see throughout all of Scripture. Will you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, that feels like a huge task, so we, we put it back on you and just say, Lord, would you lead us to a person that you're preparing to learn more about you, to explore who you are through your word. Father, would you give us the courage just to be open and natural about our relationship with you at work, at the gym, with our friends and family? Father, would you help us to express through our actions and our words the love, the kindness that you have shown so deeply to us? Lord, we thank you that you've invited us to be on mission with you. And we only ask that you would help us to be, uh, you know, worthy ambassadors of this incredible call we have. For we pray in Christ's name, amen.